It is truly a beautiful thing when a person becomes a Christian. It's beautiful when someone realizes that God is their creator. And the implications of knowing that he is not only the creator, but he is the king. He is the master and lord of this universe. If they like it or not, he still is. It's a beautiful thing for them to recognize that they have sinned against this God. They've sinned against this king who created everything. It's beautiful for them to recognize that their sins need to be taken care for, taken care by a just God. It's a good thing for us to recognize that God's wrath on sin is coming and it's just. But it's also good to know that God is merciful. It's beautiful when a, Christian, a person be- understands and believes that and recognize that the God, the, the universe whom they've wronged, whom they deserve his wrath, offers forgiveness through his son. And they realize he offers this forgiveness through his son because his son, Jesus Christ, lived on their behalf, died on their behalf, and rose from the dead on their behalf. So that they may no longer live for themselves, but instead to live for the purposes that they were created. To actually live the way that they were supposed to live. To live as the image of God. To live for Christ. It's a beautiful thing because it's not just this one moment thing that happens. In that moment, everything happens. As the series is indicating, it flips everything on its head. As lives before, as we lived lives before we were Christians, we lived it one way, and then God flipped us upside down. Not to say a new way, but the correct way, the way that He always intended for us to actually live, and it's a beautiful thing. As we go into the series, it's not just marriage; it's how we parent. Or as kids, how we honor our parents. It's how we not only work, but how we oversee those who work under us. God flips everything in our lives. That's what happened to my father-in-law and mother-in-law back in 1978. Full-blown, stereotypical hippies from the 60s and 70s heard the gospel And rightly responded. And of course, they recognized with a new mind, a new heart, they said, well, of course, it made sense that everything changed. For my father-in-law, I was talking to to him on the phone just yesterday, asking him this change. And he's like, oh, yeah, my work changed. The way I approached work, I I just didn't go to work to to work. I recognize there's lost co-workers of mine. I need to evangelize. So, I, would, you know, I made Texas proud. I got a giant belt buckle that said, you know, Jesus is Lord. So I insulted all kinds of people. I didn't care. They needed to hear the gospel. For them, when they received kids, I mean, when they were, they were Christians, when they had kids, but beforehand, they decided, okay, sure, we have kids. But now as Christians, when they had four you know, babies, they recognized, okay, these children are not just for us and our pleasure to make us fulfilled as humans. No, our job is to disciple them, to know and follow Christ. So we're dedicating our lives to teach them everything we know. We're not going to force them into conversion. We're going to trust God. We're going to be faithful to teach them, but let the Holy Spirit do his work. 
And of course, it changed the way that their relationship was going. He was telling me that they were even not married when they were, knew each other. They were doing six years of dating. Then he gets saved. Then, my, then she gets saved and recognizes, well, we need to do this different because God's in charge. So let's get married. So everything changed. The way that they even approached their marriage, they recognized it's not really for us. My, we were doing it for us this whole time, but now we're doing it for, for him. It's because they now have Christ living in them. So they walked with Christ for the past 43 years or more. Their faith was revealed in the way that they interacted with one another and other people, the way they interacted with their coworkers. They interacted the way they parent with their kids. And of course, the most intimate relationship that a human can have on this earth within their marriage. For you and I, our faith is really going to be revealed, meaning how much growth are we going to need and how, how are we growing is going to be really revealed in how we interact with the spouse that God has placed in our lives. And it's because as Christians now we are walking in Christ. Our goal is to be matured in Christ, to take off our sin and put on Christ's righteousness. This shouldn't be new because that's what we've been studying for the past several months in the book of Colossians. Paul is leading up to this moment. Don't take this text as we turn to our Bibles right now to Colossians 3, beginning in verse 18. So please turn there right now if you like. As we study this text, don't isolate it. Don't think, all right, this is about husbands and wives. Maybe it's also about kids and parenting. It's about how we work and how we involve the people underneath us as we are bosses over them. And they don't, don't take that in isolation. Remember the context of everything. It's because, as Colossians, the last 17 verses talked about, since we have been raised in Christ, let's put on, take off our sin and put on righteousness. This is just a natural outflow going into our marriages, into our parenting, into our work. This is just the natural outflow of us being raised with Christ. Furthermore, remember the thesis statement in Colossians 2.6 that we preached weeks ago, that if we are in Christ, we walk in Christ. So when we see the instructions for wives and husbands and kids and parents and, and slaves and their owners, they say, this is the natural outflow of you walking in Christ. It's you applying what you just learned. And furthermore, it's remembering Colossians 1.28. Remembering that the word of God, the word of Christ is supposed to dwell in us. And it's also, it's to make us mature in Christ. So this is for us who are maturing in our faith, growing to be like who? Jesus Christ. So we look at this text with husbands and wives, wives submitting to their husbands, and husbands loving their wives, it's remembering this is what a mature Christian is doing. And we all want to be mature Christians that look like Christ. This is what a Christian is supposed to be doing, because we're, we're, Christ is in us, we're supposed to be walking in it. And this is us taking off our sin and putting on Christ's righteousness, doing, saying, it's no longer me doing what I'm doing, what I want to do, it's doing what God wants me to do, and has been wanting me to do in the first place. But in order for, for us to fulfill these words in Colossians 3.18 verses through 19, is to make sure that we are joyfully embracing our responsibilities within God's design for marriage. It is our responsibility as Christians, especially us who are married. And for those who desire to be married and pursuing marriage, 
you need to make sure that you are embracing the future role that you have, either as a wife or a husband. Because we are living out our new lives in Christ. We're growing in maturity. I'll never meet my in-laws, Stephen Joy Sherman. You'd be as shocked as I was when I, they told me that, oh yeah, we used to be hardcore partiers. I'm like, who, who are you talking about? I, I would imagine you're born out of the womb, Christian, the way that you conduct your lives. You're different. You live a life that's completely antithetical to that. Well, it's because they recognize that they need to submit to God's design, not just in their marriage, not just in their parenting, and not just in their work, but every aspect of our lives beginning in the most personal relationship that we have. Now, before we begin diving into the text, keep two things in mind. One, we need to really care about marriage because it's God's reputation that's on the line. We need to care about our marriages. If you are married, you need to care about your marriage. But also, we all need to care about the marriages, with, marriages within this church because God's reputation is on the line. As we are a church plant wanting to grow, we're in the CYT where we're holding about 120 seats in this room, moving into an auditorium that holds over 400. Are our marriages ready to make disciples? That's what, what we exist to do. This is our mission statement as Compass Bible Church. We want to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We want to reach people. We want to reach the lost for Christ in our evangelism. We want to teach people to be like Christ by studying God's word, first through the preaching and our life groups and everything in between. And we want to train people to serve Christ is that what we were created to do? And we're going to be much more effective when our marriages are strong and more, not just healthy, but holy. A holy marriage will be a healthy marriage. A holy marriage will be a strong marriage that will be able to endure no matter what tribulation that you are faced. If we submit to God's design, you can have our harmonious marriage for the reputation of God in your own marriage and within the marriages of this church. So let's think about our marriages or our desire to marry and also the marriages in our life groups and in this room right now. So let's humbly turn to God's word right now in order for us to know how God rules over our marriages. Read with me verse 18. As Jordan read earlier, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Remember the context just, just before in Colossians 1. If we have been raised with Christ, we should do these things. Put off our sin, put on righteousness. So for wives, for you to do this, to walk in Christ, is to submit to your husbands. Husbands is to love your wives. We will get into the specifics, but we need to establish one important thing. Remember the context, Colossians 2, 6. If we are in, if Christ is in us, we walk in him. So wives, for you to walk in Christ is to be submitting to your husband's direction and leadership. And men, to walk in Christ is to love your wives the way that he loves, and we'll get to that. It's making sure you're resolving to do what God says because God is now God over your lives. Remember Joshua's words in Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15? They conquered the promised land. They're establishing themselves as a holy nation. And Joshua is telling them not to fear God, but to serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. 
He's like, put away your false gods. Don't do the things that we did in Egypt. Don't do the things we did in the wilderness. Instead, serve God. Because as for me and my house, like every Hobby Lobby store has, we will serve the Lord. Remember, so when you see that at Hobby Lobby next time, remember, that's a rebuke. Joshua's rebuking Israel in that. It's not so much later, they go, yes, we will, we, we will do it. I, I promise you, Joshua, we will obey. He's like, no, you won't. And I know you won't. You have been rebellious this entire time. But regardless how you will not serve the Lord, as for me and my house, we will make a stand right now and we will serve the Lord. I will follow the directions, Pastor Evan. I will follow the directions to make sure I'm submitting to my husband and I'm loving my wife. Well, as for me and my house, y'all, we are going to serve the Lord. The question is, are you? We need to make sure God is in his rightful place. And put that down for point number one. Make sure God is God over your home. That's what Joshua and his family did. That's what my in-laws did. And this is what we have to do to make sure God is God in, in our home, following his design. It's like doing something without the designer is a foolish thing. It's like what I did about a week and a half ago. I did something really dumb. Sometimes I do dumb things. For example, like seeing my front lawn, seeing a little bit of PVC pipe sticking out of the grass, and I'm going, what is this? I remember my builder, they were you know, a little rushed to finish the house because they wanted me to close. And I remember you know, going through the lawn and pulling out trash from a, underneath the, the grass before going, oh, this is probably just another piece of trash they kind of left behind. This is kind of a big deal. There's a PVC pipe sitting there. So I decided, you know, I'll just I'll remove the grass. I'll just yank it out just fine. So I, I moved grass, kept removing grass, and, and I started pulling, pulling, pulling. And this, you know, couple-inch pipe started to turn to a foot, two feet, three feet, and all of a sudden it, it never ended, and it's underneath my house. And I'm going, uh, oops. <laughs> so I called the person I should have called in the first place, the designer, the builder, and the expert of my home. So I called my builder. I sent him a picture saying, what is this? And he comes over, he goes, yeah, that's a French drain. That's supposed to keep water from going underneath your house. So your house doesn't go underneath into the ground. And I went, oh, I messed up. Now, thankfully, by the grace and mercy, they fixed it. They've, they fixed it and all they have to do is put grass on top of it. But it's out of my pride to think, I know my house well enough. I know it good enough to go, this is a piece of trash. This is nothing needed. This is, these builders don't know what they're doing. I'm not the builder. I'm no expert. And actually, I'm not very handy, to be quite open. And here I am trying to do the most handy thing possible by taking a pipe out of my foundation. And here, and to my surprise, my house is now harmed because of it and hurt. When we try to approach marriage the same way, by not turning to the designer of marriage, the builder of marriage, the commissioner of marriage, why are we surprised when our marriage is hurt? As for us, will we say that we will serve the Lord within our marriages? Just to forewarn you, there are several subpoints on e under each point. So here we go. Subpoint A under point number one. In order for us to really make sure that God is God over our home and his rightful place for us to get out of the way and follow his lead, we need to make sure that we are, A, committing to do what God says to do. Committing to do what God says to do. And that means we need to read our Bibles. Not trying to, I'm not being legalistic about it. This does not earn any 
points for your salvation whatsoever to read your Bible. But if you want to live life according to him, you need to read his word. He gave it to you so that you can read and apply it. It's so important that we are studying his word. You're going to make sure as even though you don't have life groups this week, you do the life group questions. If you're married, talk to your spouse about them. And text people in your life group to make sure, one, did you watch the sermon? And two, do the application questions. Because this is too important for us not to do to make sure our, 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 our marriage is in line with God. It's God's reputation that's at stake. It's examining ourselves according to scripture. Like, you know, Colossians 3, 18 and 19, like we're studying here, but also 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7. For wives to be subject to their husbands and not fearing for husbands, to live with your wives in an understanding way. Don't worry, we'll get real practical in another point number twos and threes, so don't worry. But it's also knowing, examining your marriage, examining how you as a wife, you as a husband are fulfilling this. Don't look at your, when you read these texts, do not look at your spouse and how they felt this. Put up the mirror first, please. What does God say? What does the Bible say? Take the log out of your own eye. So before you start slandering your husband or your wife, gossiping behind them to other people, make sure, like, am I fulfilling these roles myself? Am I doing what Ephesians 5, 22 to 33 is talking about? Are you wives submitting to your husbands as the church submits to Christ? Husbands, do you love your wives like Christ loved the church? What did Christ do? He died for the church. So we have to make sure that we are turning to God's word. I will never give you my opinion and my expertise. Pastor Evans, 10 steps to a healthy marriage. I'll never do that. I'll never do that. I'm going to give you God's word. But that means the second thing you need to do, point B, is to set aside your pride. I am fully aware I'm 31 years old and that most of you in this, many of you in this room are older than me. I understand that I've been married for three years, going on four, and that you guys have been married as longer than I've been alive. But again, I will not give you my best tips for marriage. I'm going to give you what God's word has to say. And God's word comes from the eternal God who has always existed, who's older than you and me combined. So set aside your pride and listen to me deliver to you God's word. But setting aside your pride, meaning you trust in God's design and not your own. You're not creating marriage in your image, you're creating it in God's. Remember what Proverbs 14 says? It says, the way of, you know, man, a man thinks his way is right, but where does it lead? To death. Our way leads to death. The way that you and I want to do marriage on our own leads to the death of our marriage. And so this is so, so important. We have to turn to the one who created marriage back in Genesis 2. Back, back in Genesis 2. And he gives us guidance throughout scripture. So we have to set aside our pride and commit to obeying him. And thirdly, for C, subpoint so C under point number one, is to make sure that you have God centered in every part of your life. God is centered in every part of your life. Having God-centered recognizes that your marriage is to make disciples. Husbands, you're making a disciple of your wife. Wives, you're helping your, your husband be a disciple of Christ. You together are discipling your children to know and follow Christ. You're reaching your neighbors, your coworkers, these strangers to know and follow Christ. 
And if we have God centered in our marriage instead of ourselves, we will be an effective couple, effective family to fulfill God's mission, which is the great commission found in Matthew 28 is to make disciples. Do you know that was the whole point of Adam and Eve's commission in Genesis 2? Genesis 2, God created Adam a helper and says, go be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. You realize that's the same thing as Matthew 28. Because who were Adam and Eve created in whose image? So that if they multiply, they're creating more of God's image. And God's image was supposed to go over the earth and subdue the earth. When we make disciples, whose image do people conform to? God's. We make more disciples and we make more people in the image of God and we subdue the earth by making more and more people into the image of God. The commissions are the same. So as a family, you will be effective disciple makers if you submit to God's design for marriage. And as a church, if we as a collective submit to God's design, we can be effective as an effective disciple making church. Not the kids in, that, in those rooms and these rooms over here. We have to make them disciples. They're born into sin. But also people outside these walls waiting to come into the building. I have several people saying, oh, I can't wait to visit your church when you're in the building. I'm like, you can come now, but sure. <laughs> Are we ready for them? Are we, our marriage, marriage is strong. And we need to care about these other marriages. We need to care. Because the quickest way for Satan to destroy this church plant is to wipe out our marriages. Think of this, if, God, if Satan takes out two marriages in this church, you have no more pastors. So this is why we can't just isolate our own marriages and focus on us. We have to focus and make sure, is our marriage strong first? Let's take the log out of our own eyes, and then let's make sure our life groups are strong. This is why you need to be praying for your, the marriages in this church. You need to be praying for your pastor's marriages, your marriages, the people in your, in your life groups that are married. If you're single, that's why you need to be praying and supporting the marriages within this church. Because if these fail, this church fails. So the challenge for you is you have no life group this week to make sure, one, you do the life group questions, but two, that you pursue marriage. And here's my practical application for you today as your pastor. If you're married, make it, make it your goal this week to go on a date. Now, you don't have to go to McAdoo's or the nicest steakhouse in the world. <laughs> One of my favorite ones was in the parking lot of Taco Bell for like 15 minutes. That's all we had. Will you pursue your spouse? Women, will you pursue your husbands? Not just to float around in this day to go, I don't know what we're doing, but hey, this is nice. No, you're pursuing your husband's needs. You're listening. You're paying attention. Say, oh, there's a need. I'm going to meet it this week. And husbands, oh, don't worry. This is going to get real rough. You're in the third point. Are you loving your wives by listening and meeting their needs? Because that's the point of marriage, to make sure that we're loving the way that we're meeting their needs. And if you're single... Babysit. <laughs> but I'm not joking. There's lots of us who can't go on dates because here in Texas, everyone has like 10, 15, 25 kids in their house. <laughs> so if I leave, my house will literally destroy. So volunteer yourself and say, I want to serve. By the way, I'm already taken. Someone for the first service already claimed Theodore. So nice baby's taken, all right? So you can't go to me. You have to get to know other people. You have to get into a life group, get to know that life group, and get to know the people in the other life groups and go babysit. So that these marriages can pursue one another well so that our church cannot, can grow, oh yes, numerically, because that means people are getting saved, but also spiritually. If we do this well, 
If we submit to God's design, we will have a church that's doing marriage right. And then people see this and go, I, I want a part of that. How do, what do I do? And he said, you need to turn for your sins and trust in Christ and follow his way instead of your own. So with that being said, let's dive into the nitty gritty of this text. Verse 18 of Colossians 3. The most culturally acceptable thing I'm about to say right now. Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. Submitting does not make you a slave. If you are a slave, please talk to me. We will counsel you in your marriage. But submitting is an active, independent, voluntary volition to say, I'm going to follow someone else's lead. But this verb, if you look it up in the Greek lexicon, you're going to see that it says that it is a present imperative, meaning it needs to be happening, and it's an imperative. It's a command. There's no option. So you need to obey this. And it's a middle verb. Now, before there's grammar people, don't say it out loud. I need to explain it. A middle verb means that you are actively doing it as you're actively receiving it. It's in the middle. It's not passive and it's not necessarily active. It's both. It's in the middle. So it means that you are actively submitting as you're active, if you're passively receiving his leadership. His leadership's not good. Don't worry. We'll talk about that. Talk to him in just a minute. I'm talking to you. You're actively submitting as you're passively receiving his leadership, good or, good or bad. But why? Because your husband represents someone important. As 1 Corinthians 11.3 says, as the head of every man is Christ, the head of every wife is her husband. As the head of the son is the father. Doesn't mean that you're less value. It means that you need to display the glory of God for everyone to see. As fitting in the Lord, end of verse 18, the Lord, remember, he's the creator. He is the designer of marriage. So he gets to dictate what we do. But fitting, meaning it's in harmony with God's will that is revealed in scripture that is proper for a Christian. Because remember the context. We can't isolate this block of text. We have to bring in the whole counsel of God and especially the whole counsel of Colossians to understand, okay, for a wife to submit to your husband as fitting to the Lord, because this is what a, a wife is, is a Christian, that's what she does. She follows God's direction. She follows God's authority because she has Christ in her. She's been raised from her selfish ways now into a new self that has Christ in her. So she's going to walk in Christ. She's going to put offers, take off her sin and put on Christ's righteousness. So for her, the wives in the room or for those who want and desire to be a wife, we need to make sure that you are actively yielding to God's authority and make sure that you're in harmony with it. So for everyone, write this, write this down as point number two, for everyone, actively yield to God's authority. Actively yield to God's authority. Now, I say this generally because we all need to submit to authority. You know, ladies, you're not the only ones that have a tr trouble with submission. Talk to your husband about them submitting to their boss. Or us, as a family, paying our taxes on April 15th to the government, to the IRS. The IRS says, you owe the government $8,000. You really, it's, you know, it's easy to submit. No, it's not easy to submit and say, government, take my money away. So this is a people thing. Both Adam and Eve failed to submit to God, but to be faithful to the text at hand, wives, you do need to submit to your husband. Why? Because your husband represents God's authority. You're not necessarily submitting for his sake. You're submitting for God's sake. 
If our children have a hard time submitting to us, the question we have to ask ourselves is, am I really doing a good job emulating what submission looks like to God's authority? For us as men to make sure that we're submitting to the governing authorities. Like what if Texas decided we're going to have a state income tax now? Will you submit? So with ladies, wives, you're not just submitting to your husbands, you're submitting to God's authority. We want other people to submit to God's authority. We want people on the uh, I-35 to submit to God's authority and the government to actually obey the traffic laws, especially the semis. I feel like we're on there. I'm, about to, I'm, trying to be, I'm being attacked. I've never met a, I'm driven in a place where the semis drive faster than me. I've never been to a place where I'm sitting next to a semi that goes, I'm coming over. Like, okay, come on, I'm, you're, it's your lane now. Let alone everyone else, from the sports cars to the Priuses that are like, no, I need to get places, so I'm going to weave in and out and did, you know, dodge traffic barely to be able to fly through however I want. And, we're, you know, and they're surprised, like, oh, man, how did I get in this wreck? Oh, man, how did I get in this car accident? And realize the accidents don't just affect them. They affect the other person they hit. It affects everyone else, uh, us on the freeway. Oh, 35 is blocked up. I better take all the side routes I know in order to get to the place I need to get to. And they're surprised when, you know, their car's in a wreck because they, you know, did not yield to the authority of God through the government saying, this is how you need to drive. And yet we're surprised when our marriages are in a wreck. We're like, what happened? Well, did you, are you actively yielding to God's authority within your marriage? Because if not, don't be surprised that you have conflict or even if your marriage is a wreck. It's hard to submit, I understand. It's because, unfortunately, we want to rule. We want the exceptions. I don't want to submit to the government. We ask, you know, we want to be a, a Christian as far as like, you know, I want to live under God, but I kind of want to also know how I can like do kind of what I want again. Like, hey, you know what? You know, how much money do I actually really need to pay to the IRS? Or, you know, this law says for me to drive this fast. Can I drive, you know, one mile per hour over technically? You know, what, you know, my husband, he's not the best leader. So do I, do I submit to him? We, we, we focus on the exception because we are rebellious in our na old nature. We rebelled against God constantly. And here's the exception. If your government tells you to sin, you can not do it. If your husband tells you to sin, don't go to church. Don't read your Bible. Rob this bank with me. You can say no. Because who are you submitting to? You're submitting to God over your husband in that moment. Your husband's not in God's will. And you're saying, I need to stay in God's will. I'll take the consequences from you who want me to rob this bank. So that's the exception. That's it. Now let's focus on the rule for the next hour. Not really. Let's focus on the, the rule. The rule is you're called to submit to the leadership of your husband because he is the authority that God has placed there. But remember this. Don't think through the cultural lens. It's lying. What God is describing in his word is submitting. You are reflecting God. Was, when Jesus, when we read on our DBR today, our daily Bible reading, when Jesus says, Father, if this cup of wrath can pass before me, can it, but not my will be done, yours. Is Jesus of less value of the Father because he submits his will to the Father's will? If you say yes, you're a heretic. Because the Trinity, there are three persons in the Trinity and they're of equal value. They have different roles, but they are equal value. So wise, when you're submitting to your husbands, you are not less value 
You are representing who God is and working in harmony with his plan. Furthermore, when Adam was given Eve, you know, uh, God created Adam. He was by himself. He named the animals. Was just because he's a zoologist? No, what was his purpose for naming the animals? Does anyone know? It's for God to show you none of these will be your helper. These animals are not compatible for you. I need to create something more. It's not good for man to be alone. So I created a what? It starts with the H? Helper. Here's a fun little tidbit. If you go to your, if you go to your um, Bible software and you look up the Hebrew word for helper, 75% of the time it describes who? Wives? No, God. God is the helper of Israel. God is the helper of salvation. God is the helper so remember, when he's saying, you are the helper, you are not diminished in value. Instead, you are reflecting the glory of God. Take that as a badge of honor, not a burden. Furthermore, how is the Holy Spirit described as in the New Testament? Helper. I want to encourage you when we say, submit to your husbands, it's because you're reflecting God. You're not your husband's slave. You're your husband's helper, following his will for the family so that you can display the harmony of God within your family as God is harmonious with himself, as God is harmonious with his church. That is your purpose. But here are three ways, quickly, that you can actively yield to God's authority. And yes, we can all do this, but why is we're going to speak to you right now? Taking in the context of Genesis 3, when Eve failed, we need to first, A, seek God's authority and not usurp it. You need to seek out your husband's authority. Next vacation plans, decision of when to come to church, the finances, seeking your husband's leadership to go, hey, what do you think we need to do? And it's not manipulating him when he gives an idea to just, you know, manipulate him to mold it to your image so you can have an easier time to submit. It's going, no, I'm going to submit. And as long as it's not sin, I'm going to follow your lead. I'm not going to fear. Instead, I'm going to seek your leadership and not usurp it. Eve failed in the garden because when the serpent tempted her, she didn't go after Adam. Now, Adam has his own issues and don't worry, I'm about to yell at Adam in just a few moments. But you saw her, she just took it. She thought, oh, this is a delight for the eyes. I want, to, I want to be the God of my universe now. I want to define good and evil, even though God has defined that. So I'm going to take the fruit of the, of the tree of the good and evil, and I'm going to eat it because I want to be like God. That's what the serpent says. I want, to, I want to be like God. I'm like, Adam and Eve, you already are. You are in the image of God already. No, they want to be God. Even though Adam failed in his leadership, she, it did not give Eve the right to usurp his leadership. So even though your husband might not do anything and you're afraid that he won't do anything in the situation that you'd be in in your marriage does not give you the right to, to usurp God's authority in your marriage. Instead, you need to seek it. And maybe if, we start to, if you start to treat him like a leader, he actually, by God's grace, might become that leader you've been wanting. But it also requires the second thing, point B, or under point number two, you need to respect your husband's leadership and learn to follow it. And this is going to be hard. I'm not going to say this is easy. It is not easy. Because you married an imperfect person. And I can take a jab at you and say, well, you said yes. But this will be hard. It is hard to submit. But when we are submitting, it's summed up in the word, as Ephesians 5.33 says, as respect. 
In the end, as Paul summing up his, that command to the Ephesians, he says, husbands, love your wives, and wives, see that you respect your husband. Because if you don't respect your husband, who, who in turn do you not respect? God. It's all about God. I'm not making it about your husband. I'm making it about God. And it requires the third thing. Point C. To trust God to deliver and not give in to fear. The biggest reason that you don't submit is because you fear. How do I know that? Well, thankfully, the God revealed that for us. 1 Peter 1.6, as Peter has been laying out to couples in his letter, telling wives to be subject to your own husbands, he gives an example, like Sarah, who called Abraham Lord. If you do this, you won't fear anything. Even though Sarah is imperfect and Abraham's imperfect, we see them as righteous examples, but they also have unrighteous examples. Thankfully, righteous, um, Sarah's righteous example is to follow Abraham's lead twice with the stupid decision he made. When he goes, hey, Sarah, we're going to Egypt. Pretend that you're my sister and not my wife because I'm afraid I might die. She said, okay. I want to follow your lead. I want to trust that God will deliver. And did God deliver? Yes, twice. I know you fear that your marriage won't recover. You fear for your, your home. You fear for your kids. But you need to not fear, but instead apply Proverbs 3. To trust the Lord with your whole heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. And don't end at verse 7. Too many of us end at verse 7. Read verse 8. Because if you do, it would be refreshing to your bones. It seems counterintuitive. It seems against logic. But God's saying, if you just follow me and trust me, it will be refreshing. Even though on, the outside, on paper, from the outside perspective, it does not make sense. Trust me. I will deliver you. It'll be refreshing to submit to me. Even though you're going through a financial crisis, even though one of your children is sick, you can trust me and I will deliver you. So in order for you to really submit to your husband's imperfect leadership, you have to not fear. Don't fear. Trust God and his design. Remember, people are watching. The other women in your life group are watching. People outside these walls are watching. We want to make disciples. We don't want to be known as hypocrites. But wives, remember who else is watching? Your kids. For their sake, to know God's harmony, harmony his desire for them to be right with God, follow his design. If you're a woman in this room who desires to be married, challenge yourself. As you are hopefully looking for the right kind of man that's a godly man, make sure are you a woman that a godly man would want to ask to marry? Are you equipping yourself through God's word to follow his design for your future relationship? And wives, follow his design. It is good. You express God's character for everyone to see. And when we shine bright in this dark world, people will see God's glory and praise him. 
Now, husbands, buckle up. Verse 19, Colossians 3. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. For the wife, she's to submit. It's presently there. She's actively doing it as she's receiving your leadership. And it's a command for her. You need to be loving. Now, if you look up your Greek lexicon, you're going to realize that love, it's, it's agape. It's the, the strongest form of love that the Greeks could express. It's a sacrificial love. Just like the sacrificial love that God gave on, he sent his son, sacrificed his son on our behalf for us to be saved. So we need to be sacrificially loving. Well, okay, how often? Every so often, I take on a date like once a month, every other month, once a quarter, maybe once a year on an anniversary. So no, it's a present. So it's there. It's an imperative. It's a command, men. There's no, there is no exceptions. You're supposed to love your enemies. So no exception for us. And it's active. You love even though you don't receive love. We men need to love. We need to love our wives better. We need to love God better. We need to be more obsessed with God and in turn be more obsessed with our wives. In this culture that Paul is speaking to, I mean, we have no-fault divorce. We, they had no-fault divorce. I mean, men were divorcing their wives because they didn't cook a good meal. I'm not joking. So when Jesus and the Pharisees are going at it about marriage, that's the context. The Pharisees just wanted to, like, I want to biblically divorce. So I see the other pretty lady over there. I'm kind of over this, you know, tired of this one over here. I want to pursue this one. Oh, she did this wrong to me. I'm going to misapply Deuteronomy 24 and uh, pursue this other woman biblically. And she's like, no, you can't do it that way. You need to love. Instead of using our wives for our just pleasurable gain, we as men, and they're really everyone, we need it all love, Men, husbands, we need to reflect the sacrificial nature of who God is. And in turn, as a result, we won't be harsh with them. Being harsh, that word is being, it means embittered. If you have an embittered wife, you need to look yourself in the mirror, husband, and ask yourself, have I been loving my wife? Because the reason why she feels embittered is because you, instead of treating her as her equal, you have been treating her as less. So are you, according to God's word, according to God's description as the love is like this, that someone would lay down his life for a friend and God's love is greater. Why? Because he laid down his life for his enemies. Are we reflecting that men in our marriages? Or are we making embittered wives because we do not love right? If we love right, we won't be harsh. What we don't love, we will be harsh. So for point number three, for everyone, but specifically you husbands, Always love correctly. And we all need to do this. We are all commanded to love God. We are all commanded to love other people. We are all called to love our enemies. So we all need to love correctly. According to God's definition, love is not a fluffy unicorn. Love is represented in what Jesus Christ did for us. He took on the full wrath of God for our sin. That is love. He humbled himself. That is love. He became the greatest servant. That is love. So for all of us, we need to love correctly. Now, men, you and I need to love like God correctly. We can't think we're doing it right. It's like when, with my job with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes years ago, 
Our mission as for the FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, is to reach coaches and athletes for Christ. To go on the high school campuses, the public school campuses of Sodom, Gomorrah, California. We're on these public school campuses and we're reaching coaches so that they can make disciples, that the coach can get saved, develop a Bible study, and reach their athletes year after year after year after year, making an impact for the gospel on their campus. And in turn, turning these high school athletes who are Christians to say, we want to train you up to be able to declare at lunchtime in front of your peers on a public school campus the gospel. That is my mission with FCA when I, when I worked there. And I thought I was doing a good job. I'm like, I'm crushing it. I'm doing all these good things. And I get a phone call from my boss one night at a Starbucks right outside uh, the high school I graduated from. I'm on the phone. He's like, Evan, I'm like this close from firing you. I'm like, but I'm, what are you talking about, dude? I'm like killing it. You see my numbers? He's like, Evan, you, you, you don't respect my direction. You don't console me on advice you do things the way you think is right, and in turn, you're actually hindering. There's parents who are upset at you. There's students who are upset at you. You think you're doing your job right. In reality, I'm this close from firing you. You need to shape up right now. And I'm like, oh, yes, sir. And thankfully, praise the Lord, I did. Men were shocked when our wives come to you and say, I want some biblical counseling. Or even worse, I want a divorce. We have to ask ourselves, was I loving the way that God loved, or was I loving the way that I... I defined as love. Because we need to do what Adam did not do. Remember, we are supposed to die to ourselves. Genesis 3, the fall. What was the curse of the snake? That the offspring of the woman will come and do what to the serpent? Crush the serpent's what? Head. And what will the serpent do? Bite his? That was what Adam was supposed to do. That's how much he failed as a leader. He was supposed to grab the serpent by the neck. He had dominion over the animals. He named them all. He was supposed to grab that snake and stomp it with his heel and take the hit for God and for his wife. He failed. How often are we more like Adam than like the new offspring like Christ? The good news is, but God, but God is going to give a new offspring, which means new Adam to come to crush the head of the serpent. The thing that Adam should have done in the first place. So men, are we loving the way that God commands us to love? As the women have three subpoints, men, we have four. You better write these down. Point A. We need to love, to, we need to love enough to make sure that we take responsibility of our leadership and we are focused with our leadership. Responsible and focused. Focused on what? Holy. Responsible, we need to take ownership. Adam failed because he just sat there and twiddled his thumbs. I don't know, I wasn't there. But he didn't do anything to stop his wife or to crush the serpent. Some of you are not doing the thing you're supposed to be doing. But the Bible says to do it. 
for the sake of God's reputation, for, for your kids to see God in you, for the city, this, this church to see God in you, for this city and the region to see God in you, take up the mantle of leadership. Your wife is waiting for you to do this and has told her, told her to get out of your way and allow you to lead. So lead. Love enough to lead. Take up the mantle and be the person you're supposed to be. You're going to be tired. So is Jesus. You're going to have to sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed. You need to lead in love in a way that's leading towards unity. Just, not just unity with your wife, yes, but unity with God and his will. That's why it's leading with holiness in mind. Remember, men, your wife that is with you right now is not, just, is not your property. She's not that's just there to please you. Not within marriage, there's pleasure and it's good. But your goal is in marriage is to be like Christ. Ephesians 5, what does it say? Christ washes her and sanctifies her with the washing of the water of the word. Jesus laid down his life for the church. For what reason? To, put, to take possession of her, but to present her to himself in glory and splendor without spot or wrinkle, without blemish, as holy and perfect. That's what Jesus did with the church. So as we are supposed to love the church, you are supposed to take your wife and love her that guides her to be more like Christ. Because remember this, man, one day you, are gonna stand, you and I will stand before God and we're gonna put our wife right here and go, this is your creation. This is your daughter. Your son died for her. And this is what I've done to disciple her to look more like you. Look at my work. And can we honestly stand before God, men, today and say, here's my final project, God. In turn, wives, you are also to help your husband to be more holy. So don't, you will stand before God one day too and say, this is what I've done to make my husband more holy by following his direction. But men, we need to be, take responsibility and make sure that we're focused that our whole lives is to glorify God by making disciples. We're supposed to lead in our homes, even spiritually. And if your wife is like, oh, my wife has more time. She reads the Bible more. She's more spiritually equipped. And I'm like, well, then catch up. Learn to lead and catch up. Yes, we have busy schedules. There's a way that you can lead to say, hey, we can't do this daily, but we're doing this every week at this time. I'm going to be studying so that I can lead this family towards God. Use your wife's gifts. She might be more organized than you. Use that. Say, hey, I, as a family, we need to go this direction. As my helper, how can you help me do this? We need to go this way. What can we do to go this direction? I need to lead this direction. Help me do this. Responsible for our leadership and we're focused on it. But secondly, B, letter B, we love sacrificially and we inconvenient ourselves inconvenience ourselves. Taking this question from a sermon I heard preached on this text, men, we have to ask ourselves this question, what have I done for my wife this week? What have I really done for my wife this week? Not just generally, well, I work, so I technically provided bread on the table and a food. No, what did you specifically and practically do for your spouse? That's sacrificial. And ladies, when I say that you are inconvenient, that's not a diss on you. Are your ki- do you love your kids? Are your kids wonderful? But I bet they're inconvenient. If you don't have kids, you'd be going to Spain, you'd be going to Europe, you'd be going to Asia, you'd probably go to Antarctica, but just because, because you don't have a kid, you can say, I need nap time. I would love to get lunch with you after church, but I can't. Why? Well, Theodore has a nap at 11, my son. 
I don't tell him to do that. He just tells me I need to sleep, Father. And I'm like, I don't know. You can articulate words right now. You're one. <laughs> but the point is, is that kids are inconvenient. I still love them. Men, sacrifice yourselves for your wife. Inconvenience yourself for her well-being. Remember, this is an active love. It's unceasing it's planned. God isn't reckless. He doesn't do things randomly. No, we need to reflect that and actually think about and plan out, how can I meet my, my wife's needs? That's why date night's so important. And wives, as you're listening to your husbands and trying to meet his needs, husbands, you need to lead in listening and ask, what does my wife need and how can I meet it this week? Men, you need to memorize Philippians 2.3 to count others more significant than yourselves. That is how you will love sacrificially. If you remember my wife is more significant than me, my kids are more significant than me, my neighbors are more significant than me. You need to take your me time, take it out to the backyard like a dog that has rabies and shoot your me time. I'm serious. You go to work, you serve the Lord. When you come home, you serve your kids. When the kids go to bed, you serve your wife. If you want some me time, get up a little earlier. If you wake up too early, well, let's figure out the schedule. Lead. Figure it out. Because we are supposed to sacrifice ourselves for the purpose of God's glory. And how can he be glorified when we are selfish? When we are not willing to inconvenience ourselves for our wives? Now, thankfully for me, I had a weak head start. I felt as convicted as maybe you are feeling right now when I was studying this text, realizing areas in my life where I needed to sacrifice and die to myself. They say, yep, I'll go downstairs for the fifth time. It's okay. I'll get what you need. Because I love my wife. Because God has commanded me to do so. Men, if we do this more, you won't have a bitter wife. You'll be tired. So what? Trust God that he'll give you the strength. Pour yourself out as a drink offering for God, so that your wife will see God in you, that your kids will see God in you, that your neighbors will see God in you, and see that that's a man I want to follow. He's not this toxic mas masculinity. He's not this wimp. He's a man that loves God's heart, who will protect me, but also who leads me with gentleness. Which is going to be the fourth thing, but thirdly, before I forget, in order for us to love correctly, it needs to be deliberate and planned. Men, this needs to be habitual. This needs to be a pattern in our lives. We can't just go, oh yeah, I need to do that. Set reminders on your phone. Remember your anniversary. Remember her birthday. Think about things you can do for a monthly. Think of things you can do for a weekly, daily, hourly. And if you work together in this, you lead well, guess what she's going to do? Honey, you are tired. You need to get some rest. I want to pour myself. You have? Go get some rest. Because I trust your leadership and go get some rest. You see how you can still have rest time? But you have to lead first. But fourthly, subpoint D, in order for us to love correctly, we need to make sure that we are restraining ourselves and building up others. Well, for all of us, we need to restrain ourselves. We can't be gossiping about our spouse for ladies to other ladies, men to other men. We can't be slandering them behind their backs, complaining about them. No, we have to strain ourselves. So that applies to everyone. But men, we need to restrain ourselves. Because an unrestrained man is a harsh man. And that's what we, like Paul is saying, don't do. Since you're raised with Christ, 
Since you are, Christ is in you, walk in him. Put off your selfish sin and put on his righteousness. Put on his patience. Put on his gentleness. Put on his compassion. Put on his self-control. Because men who are unrestrained are harsh. I heard it this way. Don't be yourself around your wife. Now, what I'm not saying is don't be genuine. Just don't be your unrestrained self. Men, we're stinky. We get it. We need to restrain ourselves by being self-controlled to make sure we are showering and putting on deodorant every day. We need to restrain ourselves to make sure that we're building up our wives and our kids. Instead of, instead of being harsh with them. Don't vent your anger of, of your day on your wife. Remember the Bible says she is the weaker vessel. Ladies, sorry to bring it to you, but we are physically stronger than you. That's what the Bible's saying. And when you, as men, if we attack what is someone that is weaker, you know what God's going to do? God's going to stand against us. That's what the Bible says. He said, I will stand in the defense of the weak. So if you are harsh with your wife, harsh with your kids, who are weaker than you, God is against you. Furthermore, I have to say this because statistically this is true, and I'm hoping this room is the exception, but if you men, husbands, if you are, or men in any type of relationship, if you are physically harming your wife, you are not in God's will. Furthermore, we as a church, Pastor Hayden and I, will fight you with the sword. And what is the sword? What is the, what is the sword? Obviously, there's the word of God, but there's also something else that's the sword. The government. Romans 13. And according to Texas law, we will put you in prison. We will counsel your wife together as pastors to press full charges, to put you in jail because we'll fight that evil because we do not want harsh men, especially men who physically harm their children and harm their wives. We will not tolerate that evil in this church. And not enough pastors talk about that. Because we are supposed to reflect the gentleness of God. We are supposed to be, have authority. We are supposed to be just we're all supposed to be merciful and kind and gentle. We're supposed to lead sacrificially. Not domineering and abusing our authority. So let's make sure when men, men husbands, that when people see us, they see God. But in order for us to really apply points two and three, to actively yield to God's authority, to love correctly, we need to make sure we have accountability. The reason why maybe your marriage is at odds is because you don't have accountability in your lives. Men, we need men who are willing enough to poke us in the chest to say, you need to follow God. You need to repent. You need to confess. You need to, sit, you need to reconcile with your wife. Men, we need accountability to make sure that we are loving our wives. And the reason why you might be harsh with them is because you lack accountability in your life. And women, as much as men, you need women accountability in your lives to make sure they're not complaining or slandering or gossiping about your husband behind his back. To have women in your lives to say, you cannot do that. We cannot tolerate sin in our lives. You need to reconcile with your husband. And of course, our accountability is going to be with one another, our spouse. My wife is my accountability. She calls me up my sin and guides and points me back to Christ. I call her in her sin and point her back to Christ. 
This is why life groups are so important. That's why we desire for you to be in that community, to be able to have that community of people, to be in your lives. So when you are not just there on Sunday, like, oh, I'm a good Christian on Sunday and a life group and serving. No, you are a Christian that follows God every day of the week, especially in the most intimate and close relationship in your life that you have the most love for and also the most little, you know, fiery temper for sometimes. We have the most conflict with this person, but also we have the most love with this person. We need to make sure we have accountability. If we have strong marriages, we will enjoy the fruits that God gives us in that endeavor. For Stephen Joy, my in-laws, for 40 years of them submitting to, to God every day over and over, to submit their work to God, to submit their kids to God, to submit their marriage to God, they just didn't, they got to enjoy the blessings of that. Again, not, you know, house and money, just the blessings of a harmonious marriage. The thing is, I got to enjoy the blessings too. Remember, I married their daughter. And because they decided that as for them, they will serve the Lord, they built, a, they built on the foundation of Christ to disciple their children, specifically my, my wife, to know God. To not pressure her to say, you need to repent right now because I want you to make sure you're saved because I want to feel that security. But we will faithfully disciple you. We will faithfully rebuke you, but we'll faithfully guide you to him. That's next week for Pastor Hayden. But they faithfully discipled her. By God's grace, she got saved. And I'm enjoying the benefits of them raising their daughter well. In turn, for our son, we want to build upon that foundation for him and for his future spouse, if that was what God wills for him. But getting out of just the one marriage, one impact, imagine this room and the room before, this whole church, if our marriages were strong. What kind of impact for God's kingdom we could have when instead of using energy to build up marriages that are weak, to say, you know what, we're going to do this, we're going to do this now, we're going to get it strong. So that when you get into this building, when we have a, a room that can hold 400 plus people, we'll be ready. I want to fix my marriage for, this, for God's glory. So when God sees our marriage, they see him in it and go, I want that. How'd you get it? And you can tell them, you first need to die to yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Christ. We'll be an effective church that makes people holy by discipling them. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And as for me and my house, we are going to submit to God's design for marriage. Will you join us and see God bless these marriages to build up his kingdom? And those who are single, students and young adult or older, pray for these marriages, support these marriages and pursue marriage rightly by becoming the person you need to be and pursuing the person that God wants you to pursue. As we close in prayer, if you are married, I would like to, for you to hold your spouse's hand because we are going to pray for the marriages of this church. Now, if kids are in the way, kids, get out of the way. <laughs> I want spouses, I want you to hold your spouse's hand. And if you're not married, I want you to pray for the person next to you in the, in the, in the marriages within this room. And we need to pray for these marriages so that God can keep them strong so that we can be effective at making disciples here at Compass Bible Church. Pray with me. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Even though, Lord, it is hard and it stings, Lord, it still heals. So, Lord, forgive us of our sins, of whatever sins that we've committed, whatever the sins that are in our minds right now, Lord, we confess those to you. God, we seek your forgiveness and we repent. But God, please be with these marriages in this room, in the room before, in this church. God, help these marriages reflect who you are. Not just for our sake, just to have a harmonious marriage. Lord, that's just the blessing. For the sake of your reputation, when our kids and the lost outside these walls see our marriages, they see you. So God, we pray that you just protect these marriages and allow them to be fruitful for your glory. And help us as a church body to care about our marriages, but also the marriages sitting next to us. Let us support them. Let us as men love rightly and as women to yield to your authority. God, please bless us as a church and let us be faithful in your eyes, especially in our marriages. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.